Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay with me. It'll be about 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, some education, and all done without any type of manipulation. We do not manipulate people on this show. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're certainly not going to ask you for anything. This show is about giving you something, and that's accurate information. Information, my prayer, that it will help you verify and identify the plan of God for your life. And if you're able to do that, then my prayer is that you will orient and adjust to the plan. So thank you for listening. It's always my pleasure to bring this radio show to you each and every Sunday on this local radio station. And I do enjoy hearing from you. I hear from listeners quite often. And as we select new cities and new venues and places to expand this ministry, if you'd like for us to continue in your city, don't hesitate to drop us an email and let us know that you're listening. It always helps me when contract time comes up and we have to sign a new contract to decide where we're going to go Uh, who's listening, who's paying attention, and who's getting something out of this. So uh, you can always reach us, Rick Hughes Ministries. That's always on the website, Rick Hughes Ministries. That's .org, Rick Hughes Ministries. And uh, you can email us by simply saying rick at rickhughesministries.org. It's a simple email address, rick at rickhughesministries.org, or you can Drop us a line in the mail. I'm not asking you for money. Don't do that. But if you'd like to say we're listening and and we'd like for you to continue to keep that show in our city, let us know at P.O. Box 100 in the city of Cropwell, Alabama. P.O. Box 100 in the city of Cropwell, Alabama. Now, we have been talking for the last four or five shows about being a castaway believer. The castaway believer is the believer the Lord has to set aside because he didn't finish the race. This is something that Paul warned about in 1 Corinthians when he talked about he himself could be set aside. He was trying to motivate the Corinthian believers to reach spiritual maturity and not be so distracted by all the details of life that surrounded them. There were so many things going on, and they constantly were distracted. This was a problem church for Paul to deal with. And so he writes this using this athletic metaphor about running the race and finishing the race. This is what we've been talking about. And I'd like to finish this series today because I want to get into a new series with you dealing with the old sin nature, the sin nature with inside of man. But before we can do that, let's try to wrap this one up today. Here are some principles that I want to give you before we go too much further. One thing that we all are each one of us are a walking grenade. We have the ability to implode. We have the ability to destroy ourselves, And that is because we have a sin nature. And sometimes you may seem like two different people. You may seem like a good person sometimes, and then you may surprise yourself, and you may say, I can't believe I did that. And that's always hard if you have a lot of arrogance and you do something that you didn't think you were capable of doing, then you have such guilt that you never get over it. And guilt can be a terrible sin used by Satan to manipulate the believer to go sit in the corner and feel sorry for himself because of what he did. I can only tell you this, that if you committed some sin 
and you're still alive when the dust clears, then God's not through with you yet. And my advice would be to confess the sin, get up off the ground, and move on forward, and don't look back. And so we're all walking grenades. When we don't have discipline, when we don't discipline ourselves, then what we wind up doing is assassinating our spiritual lives. We wind up being assassins of self. All we have to do is let Satan appeal to our weaknesses, whether it's a, a genetic weakness that we're born with or some sort of flaw that we acquire. We let him appeal to that, and if we don't have self-discipline, then we can succumb to the temptations of the old sin nature every time. You know, the spiritual life is about two things, really, if you boil down to it. It's about self-discipline, and it's about volition. Self-discipline and volition. You must have self-discipline to say no to the sin nature when it raises its head and tries to control you. And this is what Satan will use to manipulate you. He sends out the temptations to the sin natures. The sin nature begins to make you aware of it. Of course, you know, most people, come on, let's be honest about it. Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. He's a created fallen being. <clears throat> now, excuse me, God is omnipresent, so God can be in Alabama, where I'm located, or he can be where you're located in California or Texas or, or Wyoming or Arizona, wherever you may be, in Georgia, in New York, in Mississippi. God can be there at the same time. He's omnipresent. And so when we talk about Satan tempting us, let's remember something. There are three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh is the old sin nature. And to be quite honest, most of the time, we never get victory over the flesh. If you get victory over the flesh, and if you're able to avoid the distractions of the world, then maybe just maybe Satan might pay you some attention. But why would he even pay attention to you if you're so busy assassinating yourself that he doesn't have to worry about it? So the bottom line is you have the ability to trash your spiritual life before you ever finish the race. And that's what Paul was concerned about. Believers in Corinth trashing their spiritual life. You know, I think you spelled trash, T-R-A-S-H. And let me give you a little breakdown of what I put together concerning what trash is. How do you trash your spiritual life? Well, first of all, <clears throat> truth. You distort truth. You make the Christian spiritual life a source of legalism. And that's one way truth can be distorted. Grace versus legalism. This is what many people don't understand. The Christian life is not a series of legalistic maneuvers that appeal to you and make you approbate God. In other words, by saying, I'm a good Christian because I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't dance and I don't say bad words, I'm a good Christian. Well, that's not what makes a good Christian. That may be things that good Christians do, but what makes a good Christian is when you follow the protocol plan of God. When you follow the protocol plan of God, a good Christian is a Christian who is consistently filled with the Holy Spirit, and a good Christian is a Christian who is growing in the grace and the knowledge of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, until he is able to fairly, fairly uh, good represent 
Jesus Christ. He begins to be Christ-like. And Paul talked about this, no longer me, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. He wants people to see Christ in him. And that's what you want. But legalism or ritual without reality is what religion brings, and it distorts truth. Ritual without reality is meaningless. And so many, many people file into their local church on Sunday morning and go through the ritual, and there is no reality to it. They really don't know what they're doing. They're just going. They're dressing up. They're going. They're faithful to go. They're faithful to give their money. They're faithful to sing in the choir. They're faithful to do whatever the pastor needs, but they're not growing, and they know it. But they are settled into the ritual, never thinking about the reality of it. This is what the writer of Hebrews talked about. He said, I'd like to tell you a lot of things, but you're not capable of handling it right now because you're just like a baby that needs a bottle. If I tried to give you a steak, you'd choke on it. And I've been guilty of that many times myself, speaking to organized religion and to other places where I give too much information, and that can choke people. And so when truth gets distorted, making the Christian spiritual life, which is a supernatural life, it requires a supernatural power to live it, The spiritual life requires the power of God the Holy Spirit, and it requires the power of God's Word, which is alive and powerful. You cannot live the Christian life without the combination of those two things giving you a balance in your soul. And it's nothing about giving up something for God. If you think for one minute that you're going to approbate God by giving up something, well, you've got another thing coming. See, the Bible says this, that my ways are much higher than your ways, God says. I don't think like you think. We think in terms of all of this uh, emotional thing and giving up stuff. That's not the way God operates. When God wants to look at you, he doesn't look at what you gave up. He looks at what you're thinking because you are a product of what you think. And if you think giving up uh, some certain sin is going to get you closer to God, It's just not going to happen that way. What's going to get you closer to God is if you do what he said to do. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, Or where the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. That's what's going to get you closer to God, obeying the mandates of the Bible. Not giving up something that you think is wrong or might not be wrong. It depends on whether or not it's even in the Bible. And so a lot of people assign a lot of sins to things that aren't even mentioned in the Bible. So when truth gets distorted, we begin to trash our spiritual life. Another thing, T-R-R, rebound is minimized. Rebound is problem-solving device number one. That is how we recover fellowship with God when we sin. Remember that. 1 John 1, 9 is our key verse for rebound, and it says, If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all wrongdoing. When we minimize rebound, then we don't have any victory over sin. We don't recover from sin. Victory over sin and recovery from sin requires the filling of the Holy Spirit and spiritual growth eventually under what we call Operation Z. That's where the pastor communicates, the Holy Spirit captures, your, your mind comprehends, and you comply. The four C's. 
The Holy Spirit communicates the information through the pastor. The Holy Spirit captures the information. He puts it into your mind so that you can comprehend it, and then in your heart you comply with the information. And you can make a Z out of those four things. You put four circles and Z them together. Operation Z. If you're not going through that, you're not growing. And if you minimize rebound, if you fail to confess your sin to God, so it's so easy. Let me, let me show you how dumb this is. What if you sinned at 8.30 a.m. in the morning, driving into work or getting the kids off to school or whatever's going on, and you wait until 10 o'clock at night before you go to bed, and then you decide to confess your sin? What you have just done is you've spent all day out of fellowship with God, isolated, alone, assassinating your spiritual life, quenching the Holy Spirit and Satan getting a good laugh out of it. And now it's time to go to bed, and now you want to get back in fellowship with God, so you want to confess your sins of the day. Well, don't you think you should have done it at 8.31 after you sinned at 8.30? I mean, what good is it going to do you to sleep under the filling of the Holy Spirit and live under the control of your sin nature? That doesn't make sense. So we must have a well-maintained regiment of identifying sin and dealing with sin immediately when it happens, not later in the day and not tomorrow. When you know you've sinned, you must rebound immediately because when you sin, you do immediately grieve the Holy Spirit and immediately you quench his power and immediately you are isolated and alone in front of the enemy without the armor of God. So you cannot afford to distort truth. You cannot afford to minimize rebound. That's the T and the R of the trash. And then the letter A, that stands for authority. You cannot afford to reject authority. The fall of man, beginning with Adam, was a rejection of authority of God. This is what arrogance always does. Arrogance always rejects authority. That's why a teacher cannot teach an arrogant student anything, because if you're arrogant, you're unteachable. You can't learn anything. You may think you're smarter than the teacher. You may think you're smarter than your parents. You may think you're smarter than your preacher. And you can't learn anything when you're arrogant, and so you reject all sorts of authority. You'll reject the authority of the police officer and say they're unfair. You'll reject the authority of, of the principal and say he's unfair. Rejection of authority leads to self-destruction. And so arrogance always rejects and reacts to authority. But the wonderful thing about the other side of the coin is humility. Humility always accepts and responds to authority. So you have a choice. If the big letter A is standing in front of you, authority, you can react to it and reject it, or you can respond to it and accept it. It's up to you. But rejection of authority will begin in the home. That's where the verse in Ephesians talks about it. Children, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. Obey and honor are two different Greek words. Obey is a Greek word pronounced hupotasso, and it means you're under the authorities, like a military term. And honor is the word tamao in the Greek New Testament, and this means to reverence and respect your parents. 
And so rejection of parental authority is where arrogance gets its root. And once it has its root, well, then it can destroy you with unhappiness and disaster and the result of no human self-esteem in your life whatsoever. You must orient to authority to be a stable member of society. If you can't handle authority, you can't function in society. So trash, T-R-A, truth distorted, rebound, minimized, authority rejected, sin overlooked. That's the S word. Sin overlooked. This is where we begin to minimize sin. And that's a very dangerous precedence in our life. One of the sins that we overlook are the mental attitude sins. If you're in the habit of just looking at the biggies, you know, like uh, fornicating and stealing and murder and whatever and saying, well, you know, I don't really get drunk and I don't really fornicate and I don't really steal, so I'm not really sinning. But there are two other areas. There are mental attitude sins and there are sins of the tongue. And the mental attitude sins are the most deceptive sins of all. They're not even recognized sometimes, much less the verbal sins. There are more sins than just the dancing and the smoking and the drinking stuff, you know. Worry is a sin. Fear is a sin. Guilt is a sin. Hatred is a sin. Jealousy is a sin. These are not part of the Christian life. Our Lord Jesus didn't do any of those things, and he was sinless. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we grow in grace, we learn not to worry. We learn not to be afraid. We learn not to have guilt. We learn not to have bitterness. We learn not to be implacable. These are all mental attitude sins. And when we allow ourselves to be surrounded with mental attitude sins and don't rebound, don't even recognize that they are a sin, then we have minimized sin in our life. And if you don't recognize the sin of the tongue when you do it, for example, gossip and slander, what's the difference? Gossip is when you repeat the truth and slander is when you repeat the lie. And we are warned in Matthew 7 to keep our nose out of other people's business. The biggest problem Christians have is sticking their nose where it doesn't belong, judging someone, evaluating someone's motives, assigning a blame to someone for something that they did. God tells you repeatedly, repeatedly, he's the judge, he'll handle it, keep your nose out of their business. He doesn't need your assistance. That's a terrible sin. Minimizing sin means you fail to recognize the sins of the tongue when they pop up. Don't fall for that when someone says, oh, by the way, what do you think about old brother so-and-so? And then off you go, maligning brother so-and-so. All you have to do is answer any question with a question. So when someone says, what do you think about old brother so-and-so? You can say, well, what do you think about him? Because in reality, they're not interested in what you think about them. The, the real bottom line is they want to tell you what they think about them. And then you will hear some real sins come out, and it's best to leave at that time. So, truth distorted, rebound minimized, authority rejected, sin overlooked. And then the last letter, H, T-R-A-S-H. 
How do you trash your spiritual life? You humanize God. Humanize God. When believers impose emotional and motivations on emotions and motivation on the love of God, they are guilty of humanizing him. In other words, by assigning to God emotions, by saying God really, really, really loved it tonight because we had a great worship service. We worshiped him and praised him, and I know God enjoyed it, and the preacher told us that God showed up. God was here. We could all feel God. He was here. Listen, God, God is always there. He's omnipresent. Even when you leave the church, he's still going to be there. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And so if you think that you can get emotional and that you can appeal to God by getting emotional, you're wrong. You're mistaken. It doesn't happen that way. So when you impose these sort of things on God, emotion and motivation, you think God is going to bless you because you tithe, or you think God is going to bless you because you gave up your smoking, and and you're convinced that now that you're doing these things, God's going to bless you. The only way God will ever bless you is in due time when he's ready, when you can handle it. You want to know why God hasn't given you what you want yet? Because you can't handle it. It would destroy you. See, it's called capacity for life. And the one key word for capacity is contentment. And until you get content with what God gives you, then he couldn't give you anything more because it would destroy you. Contentment is, in fact, capacity for life. Contentment is one of the characteristics of humility. When you are content, then the time is right for God to pour out more blessings on you because they won't distract you and they won't destroy you. But when you impose emotions and you try to motivate God's love, you humanize God, and that's an attack on his essence because you ascribe to deity human characteristics or you distort subjects such as the love of God by defining it in terms of human love. It is not human love. It's a totally different love. Impersonal love is the love that God had for you in John 3.16. God so loved the world. Now, how could a holy and a righteous and a perfect God love you, an imperfect, unrighteous, horrible person? There are none that are righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. All of our righteousnesses are like a filthy rag in God's eyes. How could God possibly love me? Well, there's only one way. He loved me and he loved you based on his character, not mine. When Jesus Christ, our Lord, came into this world and surrendered himself to the Father's will and willingly went to the cross, died on that cross and assumed my guilt and your guilt. That was impersonal love. He was loving us based on his character, not ours. When we come to the cross and we believe in Jesus Christ and we're brought into God's royal family, then there's the personal love. But until that time, we have impersonal love. And then you can turn that right around and use that with people that you don't even like. You can love them impersonally. You can love them based on your character, not theirs. And once they change, once they believe in Christ, once they have a life-changing situation, maybe you might begin to love them personally if, if things change. 
But that doesn't mean, see, most people don't even understand what love is. It's not a gushy, emotional thing. It is capacity for appreciation. In a physical relationship, love is best demonstrated as a conversation that never runs out. What kind of conversations do you have with your God? What do you talk about with him? Are you able to have a conversation with him? Now, in regards to recovering from sin, it's possible that some believers spurn the advice of the Lord, and they wind up under what the Bible calls the sin unto death. Hebrews 12, 7 and 11 says it's for discipline that you... It is for discipline that you endure, and God deals with you as with his son, or with a son. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? Listen to Hebrews 12, 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not really a son. And furthermore, we've had earthly fathers discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? Verse 10, for if they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. When God disciplines us, it's always for a reason. That verse says, shall we not respect him and live? Listen to Proverbs 15.10. Stern discipline is for the one who forsakes the way, but he who hates reproof will die. Proverbs 4.13, take hold of instruction and do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. That's truth. Proverbs 6.23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproof for discipline are the way of living. Proverbs 16.7, the highway of the upright is to part from evil and he who watches his way preserves his life. In other words, there's a way to shorten your life, and that's to sin and get out of fellowship with God and not rebound and not recover. Under discipline, you can react or respond. Humility responds with rebound. Arrogance reacts with self-justification. 1 John 5:16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I don't say that he should make a request for this. But all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin that, not, that does not lead to death. If you ever want to read about that, you can read about it in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira died the sin unto death. You can read in 1 Corinthians 5 about the young man God, that Paul placed under the sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. And uh, that is not where you want to be. That's a person who fails to rebound, who goes through warning discipline, intense discipline, and then eventually dying discipline. He will be in heaven. He has eternal life. But he goes way, way, way too soon. I hope that's not you. I hope you're not on the way out already because of your arrogance and your failure to rebound. I hope you're listening and I hope you're learning. And I hope you'll contact me. Stay in touch. Let me know if I can help in any way. You know our materials available always to you free of charge. Have you been listening today? If so, come back next week. Same time, same place. 
Until then, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.